This is Big Red Potion. by the Game Reviews and the Unified Gamers Network, you're listening to Big Red Potion, the podcast that averaged a Metacritic score of Never Heard of It. I'm your categorical host, Sinan Kuba, editorial and features director for the Game Reviews, and I'm joined as ever by the man who puts the Afro into Afro Samurai, TGR's previews director, Joe D'Elia. Joe, how have you been? I've been pretty good. I've still been trying to recover from uh, Sinan and, and my uh, epic two-human co-op session that we did this past week, um, which was about four and a half hours of non-stop fun. Uh, Find yeah, the about... exact opposite word I would use for that. Okay. Event. Well, I don't know. I mean, there are some crazy people out there that do like that game, but I personally think it's just a piece of garbage, uh, at least in co-op anyway. But uh, yeah, well, how's your week been? Yeah, better than better than that four-hour session of Two Human. It's been mm. pretty good. It's been pretty good. Uh, I've certainly been looking forward to this show and to meeting our guests, so let's go do that. We are pleased to welcome back one of our BRP regulars. He's Gamer Notes website director, an Italian, and the number one member of the Braid and all things related to Braid fan club. He is Eddie Enzato. Eddie, welcome back. Hey, Sinan. Hey, Joe. It's good to be here. Excellent. How are you doing? Great. Um, I woke up at four in the morning today. It's been... Pretty hot and sweltering day in South Carolina, but I'm ready to go. Wow. (laughs) 4 o'clock in the morning. I don't even know that that time exists. Um, Anyway, uh, our second guest, let's move on. Our second guest is the human equivalent of the Nintendo Encyclopedia and the engine behind the Weeds podcast. So it's a pleasure to finally welcome Jack Smith onto the show. Jack, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to be on my very first guest podcast, so we're it can only get better. <laughs> uh, how, how are you doing? Um, not too bad, unfortunately. I've got a bit of a cracked rib at the moment, and I've been playing Bitrip Core all day, so I have pixels in the uh, pixels and blazed into my eyes. Gosh, I can't imagine for the for the a pain of a, of a cracked rib, something as stressful as Bitrip would be a good idea. <laughs> Trust me, Bitrip Core versus cracked rib. I'll take a cracked rib anyway. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, uh, that's our two guests, and our show topic this week is uh, the second part of our two-parter on game reviews. We discussed last week the trials and tribulations of reviewing a game from the press side, but this week we're going to be taking a bit more of an external perspective, although we'll probably touch on the press side a bit more, as I know Eddie's keen to. But let's just get straight into it. Uh, Last week I opened with Justin McElroy asking him what's the purpose of a game review. So this week, I'll turn that around and ask Eddie and Zato. Eddie, why do you read a review? Or if you don't read reviews, why not? Um, Well, I actually tend to avoid reading reviews because as a video game critic myself, um, I try to limit the influence of other people's opinions on my own ideas so that everything that I write can be as original as possible. But I feel as um, a normal reader, I would be looking for reasons to buy the game, you know, if I should buy a game or not. That seems like the typical reason to read a review to me. So, do you want to elaborate on why 
from a journalistic perspective, you don't read a review? Well, just because I review games, so I try to... I think the point of, of a review, maybe, in addition to um, trying to determine whether or not you want to buy a game, might be to gather a number of perspectives. And I feel in the realm of video game journalism, people have a tendency to... Um, adopt others' opinions as if they were their own. And I think in order to maintain an actual spectrum of perspectives, it's necessary to avoid that influence as much as possible. Okay, fair enough. So, do you think if you weren't involved in, pre in, in the press, in games journalism, but you were a consumer of games, do you think you would read reviews? And I guess another way of thinking of that is you know, do you read reviews for movies or for books or for television shows? I used to more than I do now, but um, when I do, I tend to read either every single review out there or one. And um, maybe time constraints prevent me from reading a lot of reviews. A lot of times I like to read previews and make my decisions based on the information held in a preview as opposed to a review. That, that's very interesting, and I, I think we'll certainly get back onto that a bit later on in the show. But before we do, I'll turn to our other guest, Jack, who isn't strictly involved in, in game journalism. You, your podcast is independent. You're not really working for a magazine or a website or anything like that. So uh, I, I guess you can provide a bit more of a consumer perspective, Jack. Do you do you read video game reviews yourself? Um, sometimes, just to be dodging. Okay. Um, uh, what, and what and why? My problem is that when you go into a review, everybody has sort of their own thoughts and feelings. So I know what sort of gamer I am, and I know that a lot of reviews that I read aren't the same gamers as me. So their opinions don't necessarily mean that because they love this game, I'm going to love this game. So I, I do occasionally read reviews for more information purposes and about certain aspects of the game, what works and what doesn't work more than, you know, this is a great game. And also, I tend to read reviews a lot after I've actually played the game, see, you know, how other people's opinions match or differ to mine, and, you know, whether people picked up on the same things as me or liked something which I didn't like. And, yeah, I find it quite interesting going there from that way. Yeah, that's interesting, because it's very similar to what you said, Joe, last week about the reason you read game reviews and a kind of justifying... Yeah, like you know, like I said last week, I think a lot of people kind of have their mind made up before the game comes out whether or not it's something they'd be interested in, and uh, I'm that way also. And uh, I mean, just basically from the coverage that I see in you know on the blogs and, and trailers and stuff like that, I kind of know whether or not I'm going to be interested in a game. And uh, the only reason I'll even look at a review is to see if you know I'm making a big mistake and I miscalled it completely, or if I was justified in that. And um, also, like I said last week, I'm really not. I like to kind of go into everything blind and not really know anything about what I'm about to play. So when I do read a review, I tend to jump around a little bit because I don't really want to see anything specific. So I'm, I'm kind of weird with my reviews, but I, I do look at them. You sound like a very good guy there. You, you pretty much hit on everything that I want because one of my biggest problems is that when you have a new game come out, especially when it's a game that's already came out in America, because obviously we have to get everything like four months later. Right. Especially when you're looking at the internet, there's absolutely nothing left of the game that hasn't been posted on the internet. Exactly. And if you go into like, all the reviews and everything, you end up having played the game before you've actually got it in your hands. 
with Braid, I didn't know anything about it. I, I it was completely off my radar actually. And then I saw IGN. I think they gave it like a nine point six or something. And based alone on that number, I didn't even read the review. I'm just like, you know what? I know nothing about this game. I heard a little bit of hype on it, and I saw the score, and I'm just going to buy it. And I'm so glad that I knew nothing about that game whatsoever, Eddie, um, because uh, it would turn out to be you know, an amazing experience. And I wish, honestly, I wish I could black myself out completely from all the coverage of every game, but it's just it's just not possible. No, I'd agree with that, because I picked up Braid when it came out to Mac a few months ago, and obviously I've had... Everybody talking about how oh how wonderful it is oh this puzzle is brilliant, and when I mm-hmm. came down to play it, I can see it's a good game, but the magic just wasn't there for me because I knew what was going to happen and I knew oh it's going to be a time puzzle way I've got to rewind in this world, right. and it, it's kind of like it steals a tiny part of that magic. Right, it's almost like you're not playing the game for the first time. You already right. played it by reading all the reviews. That's a big problem. And also, you can end up, um, if you know too much, about, but not quite everything about a game, you can end up having preconceived notions about what this game should be, and then that can ruin your experience as well. Yeah, I agree with that totally. Like like you said before, Eddie, I think a lot of people kind of read other people's opinions, and like they take that into their thoughts of the game before they even play it. I try to avoid that. As like when I review a game, as as you do, I do not look at anything about that game. I try to keep myself completely open about it. And I, I really would, I wish, I, I kind of hope that I can go into every game with a clean slate. Um, and it's not really possible these days. But at least as clean of a slate as is humanly possible is what I try to do when I when I pick up a new game or when I rent a game or whatever. And um, the reviews, you know, there's just so much in-depth coverage of every little release that comes out these days that, you know, it, if you do read all the reviews, there's really nothing left for you to discover when you pick up this game. Yeah, yeah. things were so much easier before the internet. I find myself slightly disagreeing with the idea of preconceived notions. I think you may go in looking for certain things. So if a review tells me that a game is has poor controls, I may be thinking about the controls but I still think at least from my perspective I don't know whether this is just because I try to challenge myself as a journalist to think this way I, I think I can look and make my own judgment based on the controls I don't I don't like to think of this idea that I can be biased because I read someone else's opinion I, I think if that if, if you look at it that way then there's no way a review in any case even if there was no hype for a game or in that line of thinking a review is always a bad influence on a player and I just that immediately makes me a bit nervous and I, I don't think that's a good way to look at games reviews. I think it is kind of like that though some ways I mean like with Flower for me I think the reviews that I read kind of ruined the game for me a little bit because every review I read was like oh there's this amazing surprise at the end that you're going to love and the whole time I'm playing it I'm like wow I can't wait to see what happens at the end this is going to be awesome. And then when I hit it, it, it was kind of a letdown for me because it, it wasn't really as uh, elaborate and as amazing as everyone had said in their reviews. So I think that, in a way, the reviews of that game hurt it for me a bit. But that's, that's not quite what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you didn't find yourself thinking, well, this is it is a good ending, even if it wasn't a good ending. What I'm saying is you still were able to come to that decision. I, I, I don't think you can, you can blame a review for you being disappointed with the game because it didn't, you didn't agree with the, the guy who said it. I think that's just a case of the expectations and them being let down uh, and that's maybe a, a risk but at the end of the day you, you I don't think you can blame that on the review I think right. that's, it is sort of that's your reaction um, yeah I was going to say it is sort of a cop out to say that it just feels like it's hard to avoid I mean when I was younger and I didn't have all like plenty of money to throw at video games 
I used to read reviews and watch videos and previews and all that stuff almost as a substitute for having the game immediately. And it was almost <laughs> like I had the game. So that that same sort of feeling can carry over. And when you're done looking at all the media prior to actually having the game, you have basically created this imaginary version of the game. And you may really be excited about that game. You may really want it. Um, and then when you get the game, it may be a little bit different from the imaginary game that you've built up in your mind. And that's where the letdown occurs. And no, it's not really the fault of the review, but the review is a contributing factor to that human quality to do those sorts of things. I would go one step further, and this is going back to what you said at the top of the chart. I don't think you can put that all down on the review. I think you have to put that down on the way the enthusiast press for games works. And, uh, you know, we've already talked about previews a little bit here. I think that, and this is skipping ahead to a point I want to bring far later on the show, but I think the review process doesn't start... And when I say the review process, I mean the review process by an overall perspective, you know, a community perspective, the general vibe on a game. And I think there is this kind of judgment and critical discussion on a game before it comes out because it always starts with the previews. You know, we were talking about Assassin's Creed being so fantastic, and you can put that all down to the marketing if you want to, but there's no, you can't deny that the press got caught up in that as well. And there was all the, all, so many previews, and we were all expecting the most amazing game. And then, then the review comes and tells you, it might not be the most amazing game. Mm. I, I, I don't think that's the fault of the review. I think that's the fault of, of A, the press for building it up over the course of, you know, how many months before the game came out. And B, and I, you know, this is, again, maybe it's unfair to put this up against the consumer, but I think at the end of the day, if you were the one reading up so much about a game, you kind of have to accept a bit of the blame yourself for getting so involved with something before you had the chance to try it out. Yes, it's true. I agree. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, like you, like you said, it, the review does play a part, especially because it is kind of like the final judgment, you know. And this is, you know, our set in stone thoughts, and you should buy this game or you shouldn't. But there's the whole process of all the community around it, all the previews, all the media, and everything else, and it kind of everything kind of attacks it together into the final bombshell that will either make or break the game for you, depending on your preconceived opinions, as we were saying earlier. Maybe the review is um, the all-important tool in dispelling all of the uh, all the hype, you know, before the game comes out. So, really, maybe the review is the most important part of the process because it's the final version of the game and it can tell you whether the hype was indeed correct or not. So you may consider the review process to start a little bit earlier as you're building up towards the game, but it's that final mark that really brings you back down to earth and uh, sets the record straight. That's interesting. Um, I'm just going to throw in an example here of The Conduit for the Way, which I don't think anybody can say that game was not hyped to death. Mm-hmm. I mean, seriously, it was every single week there was some sort of press release about how awesome this game was going to be. And I know a lot of our listeners and a lot of my fellow hosts were really getting pumped up. Oh, it's going to be the most amazing first-person shooter ever. It's going to be the saviour of the way. And the movie you started coming in, and, you know, there were some good reviews coming in, about 70 to 80%. And then there's some more critical reviews. And 
I was just watching it and I was like, what? This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He hasn't changed this, hasn't done that. He's I've got no idea he's saying the game's rubbish. It's obviously brilliant. And then they all bought the game and then they all sold it two days later. Mm. Right. So while the review can kind of like bring you back down to earth, especially since at the end of the day, a review always comes from somebody's own opinion. And if the hype barrier's got to a certain amount and you've sort of sold the game to yourself so much, the review can almost be meaningless in that process. I think that's a fantastic point. And again, I'd go to Assassin's Creed on that because because of all the issues surrounding that game. I think that game is one of the most interesting specimens in terms of the in terms of the review process because I don't think I think we can all agree a game there hasn't been a game as hyped as Assassin's Creed probably in ten years. I mean, I think it's a it's surpassed in its hype even Duke Nukem or Too Human or. Uh, I didn't. I, I honestly, it, I, for me, it feels like it's the most hyped game of this decade. From that, I because there were suspicions around exclusivity deals with certain reviewers and uh, you know the publisher influence, which we we I don't want to get too much into the show because I think that that will touch on grey areas and I feel like that's already been discussed to death. But I feel like it's relevant to Assassin's Creed because you've got this weird spectrum of reviews. You've got lots of nines and tens reviews, you know, excellent game, best game you play this year, without really going into why. And then you've got all the retributional reviews, the kind of the threes and the fours and the twos, saying this is an absolute abomination of a game. Like, for me, that game was distinctly average. And I feel with those retributional reviews, that word retributional is, is exactly valid because it was a response to the hype. So in a way... The review lost a lot of its meaning because the hype had an influence on it. And I feel people reacted too harshly to that game because of all the hype surrounding it. So I feel like, again, that wasn't the review wasn't its fault there. It just didn't do its purpose because of the power of all the hype before mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I was going to say that. I don't think, like, in certain cases, I don't even think the reviews matter. Like, in Assassin's Creed, that game was going to sell no matter what. And in, like, the case of Batman, I mean, obviously, I mean, the reviews are coming out now, and it's getting pretty solid scores, but I, I don't think the reviews matter on Batman. I think that thing is going to sell a couple million no matter what it gets. And Madden, for example, does it really matter what review Madden gets? The hype, the, the year of hype that EA gives that game, plus the fact that it's a football game, that is going to sell no matter what. I think there's certain titles that barring any review score that it's going to get, they will still make their marks. Um, and, of course, that won't bode well for the, the future of the series. But, I mean, it, hype is a very powerful thing, and, and hype can eclipse the review in many cases. Yeah, definitely. I think you've got a really good point there. And I know it's a cliche to death, but, I mean, look at all the substandard movie tying games out there and how well they always get into the charts the first week they're released. You know, and there are some good ones out there, but... I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not just completely dissing the entire genre of games here, but... <laughs> that, that's a genre you, you can diss, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, there's always the saving ones, you know, Spider-Man 2, GoldenEye. Sure. I'm, I'm expecting a little bell there. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, you know, and then you've definitely got that hype, and just going back to what Eddie, Eddie said, you know, where he doesn't read other reviews because he doesn't want to be have his thoughts biased himself. You've also got to look at these reviewers, you know, they're getting caught up in the hype, they're going to all the preview events, they're playing the game specifically tailored to be the best parts of the game to give the best impressions. So, you know, you get these polarising review scores because it's, you know, at the end of the day, the reviewers are still gamers. And at the end of the day, 
you know, you can be just as passed off by the hype as I can. And if you are bought into that enough, then it will affect your eventual review score. Going back to what Sinan said about retributional reviews, you have reviewers who pay attention to other reviews responding to them in their own reviews, and it almost becomes a way to average the the overall aggregate score of the game in relation using your review to adjust the final score that it may get on Metacritic when combined with all these other reviews that you may not agree with. So I wonder how much, how often that happens. I mean, just uh, yesterday I reviewed um, Little King's Story, and I wanted to give it, you know, exactly what it deserved. And I had a thought in my mind to maybe maybe give it a little bit higher score because I like what it did for the the medium as a whole, although maybe as a game um, by itself it might not have been as good, so I wanted to possibly bump up the score so that it would uh, influence the future of the industry, but in the end I decided that's the wrong thing to do, and that's sort of similar to the idea of using your own score to adjust the final aggregate score, and I don't think that is... um, doing right by the readers, and I don't think that's what a reader really wants to see. They want just honest opinions. That, I think that's fascinating. I mean, I applaud your frankness there, because I think that is that is quite impressive to admit, but I think what it does expose is something we talked about last week. Last week I said, a little bit uh, impulsively, that the review score is the cause of all evil with reviews. Now, I, I think I want, to, I want to clarify that statement a little bit. I don't think the review score itself is the cause of all evil reviews. I think what happens with that review score is. And from there, I would go to Metacritic. Although, principally, I have no problem with Metacritic. And it, it for me, the problem with Metacritic, and I, I'll get my guest views after I go through this rant, but my problem with Metacritic is that it influences whether people retain or lose their jobs in the industry. You know, you have publishers setting Metacritic scores as their target for a game. And clearly with a game like Little King's Story, that's not the point. It's not going to necessarily review well. There's an artistic idealism with that game that, that's trying to be obtained. The same may, maybe with uh, Akami and Braid. Not everyone's going to necessarily get those games. Uh, funnily enough, I think all three games have actually scored quite well on Metacritic. But there are certainly games which maybe won't review well but are better than the review process and that analyzes them to be. But I'm, I'll, I'll catch myself there and, and go to my guests. What, what are your guys' views on, on Metacritic as a tool for the review process? It's a double-edged sword for me. I mean, I can see the point of Metacritic, and I love it if, you know, like we said, if I really want to know something more about a game because I just don't have, don't have enough information for whether it's me or not, I can head over to Metacritic, I can just go down, I can take a good review, an average review, a bad review, see what how they stack up against each other. I think it can be a really good tool for the consumer themselves if they use it in the right way. As in, you don't just go, oh, look, that game's got a 70, therefore it must be good. Because obviously, as we were saying earlier, there's many, many factors and many, many different types of gamers reviewing these, and that's going to affect what score they give it. And as you were saying, you know, a score may not necessarily be the perfect score for that game overall. But so I think it's great if you can use it that way. But my problem is a lot of people just kind of go on Metacritic. It's like, 
okay, any game that's got under 70, and I'm not going to even touch, even right. though there may be some absolutely fantastic ones in there, but because we've only got three reviews and one person didn't like it, it's got like 20 when it should be 60 or 70. Right. And as you were saying earlier, you know, a lot of companies are basing their success on Metacritic scores now. And just because somebody doesn't like it and somebody can skew that number, it can cause all manner of troubles. And instead they should be, instead of looking at the score, they should be looking at what the people are actually saying in the text. Right. What they've liked, what they don't like, how the game's mixed with them, whether there was like one specific issue that could have been sorted by somebody or whether there was problems over with the general concept. And I think that's the way it should be progressing and that's really the only way for the games to move forward. I think Jack just nailed it, uh, actually, what I was just going to say. Um, but, yeah, that, like that's my problem with Metacritic, is that like it, it focuses on the wrong part of the review. I mean, like, you know, game reviewers, they're not getting paid to put a number on a game. They're getting paid to give their critique of a game and to actually say, you know, what they liked about it, what they didn't like, and overall what their impression of was it. And Metacritic literally is just this meaningless number that the reviewer has to stick at the end of the, of the, the review, which may or may not tie into his thoughts on the game. It's just kind of like, well, I think this experience equates 86 out of a 100-point scale, so I'm going to put this at the... It just doesn't really work out for me. It doesn't really encompass everything that a review should have in it. And I think by just giving that little blurb and a score and, of course, having the aggregate score at the top, it doesn't really do anything for me um, as far as whether or not I, this game should be worth my time. It doesn't tell me the information that I need to make my decision about that game. And just because a lot of people gave it high scores without reading what they actually said about the game, it doesn't actually help me at all. I feel like to say that it's completely useless is, in some ways deeming the ability to change something from being longhand to shorthand as broken, which I don't think it is. I feel like, at the end of the day, a review score can serve a purpose in its own context. So if you if you know the reviewer, if you know the magazine, uh, if you are au fait with the way they score, you can understand what 8 means to them or what 7 means to them. Now, I, I know your, your point is going to be, but if we just ignore the fact that review scores are different for every publication, whatever, whatever. There is some objectivity to having a, bun a, a lot of subjective opinions distilled into one thing. I think all, having all those opinions producing an average actually to some extent does produce a little bit of objectivity to the, to the proceedings. Because at the end of the day, what you are getting is, is an average, isn't it? And an average gets a bit closer to saying what the audience at large, on average, is going to think about it. No, I, I, I didn't mean that it's that Metacritic should be shut down and that no one will have use for it, because <laughs> honestly, I know several people that only go to Metacritic as their source for game reviews. Like, that's it. And one person I know says he won't buy a game that gets below an 80 on Metacritic. And that's, wow. that's his purchasing decision. That's it. Done. So he buys, like, five games a year, pretty much. I meant more from, like, a personal standpoint. Like, I, you know... When I, I look at that the site, I can't get anything out of it. For me, just getting an average of what everyone thinks doesn't really cover anything for me because I don't, you know, half the sites that are on Metacritic, I've never heard of them, i never visited. I don't know what those people are all about. So to look at their scores, it doesn't really mean much to me unless I'm reading what they're saying and I'm getting into the groove of what they think about the game. So for someone like me that plays every game, no matter what score it gets, and pretty much bases only his purchasing decisions on how 
you know, the public at large thinks about a game. Like, if, for example, if Infamous had scored poorly, I probably would have rented it instead of buying it. So, um, for me, personally, the numbers and the average don't mean anything because I don't have a, a level of trust for most of the, the people and most of the reviewers that are on that scale. And giving me an average isn't going to help me at all. But for the public at large who just wants basically a quick and dirty number that's going to tell them basically what type of experience they're going to get, Metacritic does indeed have a use. Um, just to put into us in something, you were saying how, you know, if you know the site, you know the reviewers, know how they work, then that score has an overall meaning to you. Yeah? You're right, yeah. Yeah. So, basically, what you're saying is that if you take that one site that you know all about how they work, how they, you know, how their opinions reflect to yours, when I have 50 other sites that you've never heard of, then that score still is completely appropriate to your bang purchase habit. No, I'm saying you've got to. I'm not saying you base your decision solely on Metacritic. I actually agree with Joe to some extent. I don't think it's if you see a Metacritic score and it's below 60, that should totally influence your decision. But I don't think you can say it's not an influence on your decision. I think it's a factor. You can't deny that if 70 people or 80 people or 90 people have played a game and they didn't like it, that's that that should put a warning bell in your head that this might not be a good game. I think that to say you don't trust the opinions of all these people. Look, at the end of the day, those, those people formulated that score they didn't if we ignore all the the ideas of publisher influence and all that sort of stuff those people came to that decision on on a score without bias they they decided that that game deserved that score now if 100 people all came to a similar kind of decision that i will not lie that affects my purchasing decision if 100 people say a game is free out of 10 then i i suspect that game is probably going to be a bad game yeah, I can see what you're going for, especially if you've got such mass numbers. But my one problem with Metacritic is that, obviously, different games get different amounts of coverage. So while one game may have 100 reviews and you're looking at it, you go, OK, so that game, overall, these people think that it's average. That looks OK. But the problem is that, you know, there isn't, like, a set standard of, OK, it's going to be 10 reviews that we're going to base this on. So a game may only have three reviews, and because we have a because there's so many little reviews, each one has such a bigger pulling power, and unless you go into it in detail, that's going to dramatically affect that score and not give it the overall general consensus average that other games might have. I think that's that's fair enough. I think that it, it in that case, it's up to the person to you know click on a link and see, oh, only five people reviewed it. And actually, one guy kind of liked it. I think that is important, but I suspect many people don't even realise you can necessarily do that on Metacritic. And I... Uh, but at the end of the day, when we're talking about the mainstream games, that's not an issue. I think most mainstream games on Metacritic get 50-plus scores getting contributed to that score. So I, in that case, I think it, 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 it serves a purpose. But I think there are the problems, and I didn't want to get into it, but it's inevitable. You can't discuss review scores without discussing the way publishers influence them. I mean, Eddie, how, how, you're a website director. How much of a problem. We asked Justin this. He, he, he ditched scores completely at Joystick for his reviews. For, for Gamernode, and I know Gamernode are part of Metacritic, do you guys have problems with publishers with your review scores? Not until after they're published. <laughs> 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 um, I've written a couple of reviews personally that earned the ire of a few publishers, and I'm not going to name names, just in hopes that we actually work with them again. <laughs> no Dan Shu revel revelation today, sadly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
what I'm asking is, I mean, obviously you don't want to go into too much detail, but how much does that play on you when you are reviewing a game, what the publisher is going to think of a bad score? None whatsoever. Um, to be honest, I, you know, I review it as I see it and let the chips fall where they may. I mean, if someone's going to stop working with us because of it, then whatever. At least I was honest. Fair enough. <laughs> it kind of sucks, but, you know... <laughs> Right. So made the game better. At the end of the yeah. day, would you rather annoy one big wig executive and maybe not get to review another game in the future, or have on your conscience that because you've reviewed a game higher than it should be, that you've made people buy an absolutely terrible game and have hundreds of people spend their money, and that's all your fault? Exactly. I think from a moral standpoint, there is clearly no argument, but the problem is... And I'm not, I'm not defending the people who do this. The problem is, is that you have magazines and websites who are depending on these copies coming in, of getting the traffic that comes in. And uh, when you're getting so much pressure from publishers, and when your job depends on it, things start to get murky and cloudy. And that's why I believe, at the end of the day, the review score is evil because it's it's the one thing that causes this problem. I don't think. Imagine if there were no review scores. Do you think we'd have anything close to this issue, or, or do you think the publishers would find another way of getting <laughs> around it and then trying to influence the way we write reviews? Well, there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. yeah, they could complain about a few things that you say, and I've seen that happen. You know, where they dispute some of the the words in your text. But it would be far, far less than it is now with the final number. Well, to use a famous case, I mean, the, the GameSpot uh, firing of Jeff Gertzman, they said it wasn't his score of Kane and Lynch. They said it was the way that he, he worded certain things during the review that led to his firing. They said he was a little more malicious than they had thought um, he should have been, and that's why that they let him go. At least that was the official line. Who knows what the real reason was. Well, if I, if to speculate, not that I can prove it, but come on, it was six point five. That was right. a score, wasn't it? You know, uh, and that it's a good game's score. getting it's a, it's a, it's a oh, okay score. <laughs> um, I, you know, at the end of the day, I find that hard to believe. But right. uh, no one, we we don't need to dig that up anymore. It's already been dug up over the last right. year and a half. Who do you think actually reads reviews in a games magazine? Who who which part of the public is reading reviews on a website or in a games magazine? This is quite interesting because I actually still actually buy games magazines. I'm, I'm, I know I'm part of a shrinking minority, but... Well, I'm, I'm, I'm part of it too, so uh, there you go. Every day, my thing with magazines is that because it's more structured, I, I tend to find them flow a bit more. And I know that there's some really good games websites out there as well, but sometimes I can find them a bit more, a bit more edgy than what I'm looking for in a review because like I said I'm much more of a more factually based review than a right this is my opinion and hey I'm just going to run with it I mean obviously print magazines are going out of popularity and we, we see closure after closure but say with gaming websites then do you think that someone who typically plays the Wii say reads what a website has to say about a game I think like I said the problem with games websites is that there's so many, and there's so many different sorts of games and different opinions, especially these days. You know, back in the and SNES days, I would say that it was a much more close community. And I don't want to say that in the sort of, you know, oh, there's only the hardcore geeks in my little 
bedrooms, pressing buttons, but there's sort of a more general consensus mind. Well, now, the, because the industry's expanded so much and there's so many new ideas coming out, you know, people's views on gaming and their habits are much more fragmented. So I think it comes down to somebody just looking around, trying to find a site whose reviewers match their own gaming opinions and who they can find what they trust. Because with so many people out there, I mean, nobody's ever going to agree on what's going to make a good game and what's going to make a bad game. And it's just a case of trying to find, you know, the like-minded people that you know, if they like it, I'm going to like it. If they hate it, I'm going to hate it. Because I know there's plenty of review sites out there who I read their reviews and I'm like, they have absolutely no idea what I like in games. I can clearly see that. I mean, that point there about the absolutely hammering is something that I absolutely love in a game. And therefore, I shouldn't read the reviews anymore because, obviously, it's not going to have any impact on how I'm going to enjoy the game. Yeah, I meant to agree with that earlier when it was first mentioned. Because uh, when I do read reviews, it's usually well after I've played the game or reviewed the game. And a lot of times, I just go in and I find myself critiquing the reviewer's opinions Mm. of the game. So I'm reviewing the (laughs) review. And I think it's like that for a lot of people. I think it's really about validation of your own conclusions and feelings and finding someone to share a perspective with. Mm, definitely. But if we go back to the general question of, you know, what do people want to get from the review? I think with so many people, everybody's going out for different people. And there's one certain gaming community, and I'm not going to name names because they will hunt me down and kill me. But... I go on their website and they'll see they've put up a game that people have been slightly interested in. Like, this game has got a 2 out of 10. And the reviewer comes like, what, this game's got a 2? I'm not even going to bother with it. Or, wow, this got an 8, I'm actually going to read the review now. And I know we're going back into the whole stores or even and everything, but there's just some people out there that just want a clear, quick consensus where, you know, you could just tell them this is a good game and they would buy it. But then you've got the more people that actually want to get into the meat of it and, you know, find out what works, what doesn't work, and what's for them. Now, how many people do you think don't follow um, the industry very closely and they only read the review maybe to find out what a game is even about and they're looking for the more um, bullet point list of what's in the review? How many people do you think read a review like that? I think those people exist. And my my case for those people existing is Bionic Commando. Mm-hmm. Now, Bionic Commando, we, we've talked about it a bit on the show before, and I, I know Joe is very fervent that it should have done better than it, than it did, and I would tend to agree with him. But you look at that game, and it sold 27,000 copies so far. I don't know if it's, if it's maybe reached 50,000 by now. But clearly the, the cashier, the name, had, had been lost over time. Clearly uh, the name in itself doesn't do much. So what you're left with is general opinion. Now, that game didn't really review well. And I think it's that kind of hardcore game, if you want to use that word, that a certain group of people who, like you say, Eddie, the only thing they do is read a game review in a magazine. They pick up the review every month, and they look. They go straight to the reviews. They look at the score, and they see a 6 and a 7 for Bionic Command, and they think, right, I'm not buying that. I only buy 8s and 9s. And I feel like there are cert- there's a certain genre of games which are not mainstream, but are what we call hardcore, that review scores have an impact upon sales of. Mm. 
And just something interesting that I thought about while you're saying that, um, obviously you'll have the people who will interview will see it's a six or a five or whatever, and then if that website has quite a large base, then there's a lot of verbal people on the internet these days. And just because one person doesn't like a game can lead to an entire community bashing a very good game just because one person, it didn't meet their mantras, to use a random word. Well, I think there are very influential people in, in the press and mm. in the community. And I think, you know, if, say, someone like Garnet, Garnet Lee on the One Up, uh, sorry, Listen Up show says he doesn't like a game, I think that affects the purchasing decision of four to five figures worth of people. Because that, there are plenty of people who listen to that show. And as much as that show causes so much, like you say, discussion, I think there are the people who listen to that show and basically trust his opinion or uh, John Davison's or whatever so much that they will base their purchasing decision upon it which is maybe a good thing or a bad thing I don't know I'm not entirely sure about that to be honest I think that's something to debate but uh, I don't think it doesn't exist I think that that is the case can I just say I'm always scared when I have some email saying thank you for talking about this game on the show you said you liked it and I've gone out and bought it and honestly, that is slightly scary. <laughs> Watch out for their next email. You mother... <laughs> <laughs> I just wasted 60 bucks. Yeah, yeah I'm, trust me, we've got plenty of them as well. Well, I think, I think that, 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 that's something Justin was talking about last week. You've got to be... You've got to know as a reviewer how to write in a way that says, this is my opinion, it may not be what you think, but this is yeah. what I think. I think it's very... That's very important, and I... That's why I don't like how you mentioned it, this kind of checkpoint idea of reviews. I don't like that in a review. It doesn't appeal to me in any way, shape, or form. Right. I think there, there are mainly two types of reviews. There's the, the checklist review, and then there's the more in-depth critique. And I'd like to see things really gravitate towards the uh, in-depth, thoughtful critique, rather than just, oh, this is what's in the game is kind of touching on the whole old versus new games journalism debate, which we're not going to allow ourselves to get into too much. Um, no, but I think it's interesting because you've got to get that balance right because, like I said, we've got our community and people are posting them. You know, they're not proper reviewers, but I'll read the review and they don't actually tell you what, you know, they'll say at the start, they'll say, oh, I'm going to review Mega Man 2. Nowhere in the text that I put, I could recognise that that was Mega Man 2. It was just a chunk of what they thought. So I think there's definitely a sort of mix where you've got to take in the facts but then sort of deliver your own verdict on what they are. And thankfully, a lot of people do get that balance. But then there's always seems to be the borderline people are going to be, oh, it's just facts or, oh, it's just pure opinion. And those are ones which always seem to skew the general consensus slightly. I think the other thing worth mentioning is that there's just so many uh, ways to like for people to get influenced these days. I mean, like... Forum talk, I mean, general chit-chat, uh, word of mouth, uh, you know, I mean, while the people like Garnet Lee saying that he likes a game might turn some people onto it, I think they're still going to look towards a couple other avenues of discussion to see what the general opinion is mm. of the game before they go and check it out. Um, and I mean, there is also, which is sad but true, but there is also the group of people that still walks into a GameStop, looks at the back of the case and says, yep, this one looks pretty good, I'm going to buy this one. And that is... A p- a very strange that this still happens in the age of information that we live in, but that is the case. And another thing is, like, with um, Final Commando in particular, I, th- I think that, I mean, the talk 
of that game was not good. Uh, all the previews for that game were not good because apparently Capcom threw all journalists into that game without any type of tutorial or anything. And a lot of, I remember reading a lot of people saying, I don't know what I was doing during this playtest session. It was very confusing. And I think Capcom killed it themselves by releasing a multiplayer-only demo of that game because obviously the strength of that was all in its, you know, freedom and swinging around the city, that type of thing. Um, I think that's the thing. Like, like demos are huge these days because that's what gets people talking more than any review or preview. I think, like, getting – like, there's so many ways now. It's not like you have to buy a magazine to get a demo. You could just download it in five seconds. And, I mean, most demos are getting one, two million downloads within the first week now. That's the way you get to sell a game. That plus the reviews is what's going to lead people to walk into their store and buy it. And I think that, like, just giving the people a chance to try this stuff out, giving the people as much information as they need to make their purchase before the, the beforehand is what really builds the hype, more so than a preview or a hands-on or anything like that. I agree with you, but I, I don't think you can discount the worth of a review. And I know that's not what you're saying, but just to, to go on from Bionic Commando then, I mean, it had a very similar... Uh, preview life, if you want to call it that, to Mirror's Edge. You know, there was right. a lot of skepticism, there was a lot of doubts, there was a lot of people discussing it and being very down on the game. But Mirror's Edge, in contrast to Bionic Commander, reviewed quite well overall. I mean, I think it's a it's a difference of ten points on Metacritic. I'm right. I'm, 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 I'm estimating. I may be right, proven right. wrong on this, but Mirror's Edge reviewed, I think, in the 80s and Bionic Commander in the 70s. Mirror's Edge ended up selling. Not much, but it sold much more than Bionic Commander did. And I, mm. I feel like the thing that distinguishes those two, because they both don't they, they don't look good in retail. You're not going to pick up Mirror's Edge and think, oh, I'll buy that. You're not going to pick up Bionic Commander and think, oh, I'll buy that. They're both kind of similar in that way. They're not going to appeal to the Call of Duty base in, 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 on the other right. way. The review scores is what differentiates those games. And in Mirror's Edge's case, it, it gave it some sales. I, I just, think in Mirror's Edge's case, it was the demo. Because, I mean, I know personally and from a few people who I spoke to, people who played the demo got really into it and then went out and bought the game. No, I disagree. I heard the completely conflicting side of it. I heard people play the demo and say they really didn't like the demo and they couldn't get it because really? of the whole first-person perspective. That's what I heard a lot of people say. That they, they immediately didn't buy the game because of the weird perspective and how it, you know it's kind of the motion sickness kind of side of it. What did you guys hear about the demo? The other two? I remember... I remember the Joystick podcast of the Chris Grant, the guy who leads the show, says that the demo sold him on it. And, and personally, I think, I mean, I was very excited about that game to begin with. I actually thought that was going to be, like, my favorite game of 2008. And uh, the demo completely sold me on it after I had played it. Mm-hmm. But then again, I'm not like everyone else. So <laughs> I think it, I definitely see how there could have been, like, a polarizing effect with that, where it's like, you know, either love it or hate it. And there's really no in between. And I could see how the demo did put a couple people off, but... Um, you must have been who I talked to then. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I got this information. It was from Joe. All right, I'm just saying on my side that's what I heard. Okay. So okay, let me let me extend another example of why I think reviews affect sales. Uh, XBLA and PSN games. I think that the people who are likely to and you can again. I'm not saying the demo doesn't influence. It. I agree with you guys. I think the demo is very important. But I think the kind of people who are on XBLA and on PSN. And even to some extent, maybe I think maybe even more so actually with the Wii, because uh, I, I don't know if you if you could agree with me, Jack, but I don't think most Wii owners do use its internet capabilities. I'd say it's definitely increasing, but it's not at that help point that the other consoles are at. Right, and the people who are using the capabilities are more likely to be enthusiast gamers. Mm. So 
those are the kind of people who I think read reviews. Like, those are the ones who go into Eddie's category of the people who buy a magazine and read the review. I think they're the people who are buying XBLA, PSN, WiiWare games. And I think we don't get the sales data, but you get a general vibe of what, how well a game is doing. And like, they tend to be the ones that have done well at, in, in reviews. That makes a lot of sense, though. Yeah, because you have this this wealth of options. You know, there are a lot of uh, downloadable titles out there, and you don't really know a whole lot because they get a little bit less pre-review coverage. Mm. So um, the reviews all bring it together, and then you finally see which ones uh, stack up how you would uh, want your game to be. And then you're more likely to just click and purchase because it's so available. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I'd say at least one game a month from WiiWare I've never heard of until it comes out on Friday night. And I am somebody that knows absolutely everything about WiiWare. Trust me about that. <laughs> um, but just interesting about you know how a review and the demo kind of affects people's opinions. Um, obviously, some of the people on Twitter, that both me and Simon follow, say that they refuse to buy a WiiWare game because they don't have a demo service and they're not going to put out £3 for a game that could be rubbish. So I think there's almost an even more polarising effect with the demo on these little games, especially when there is, as you said, much less review coverage for them. I think that's a very important point. I think that it is interesting to compare the way the online marketplace works with the retail marketplace. You know, There's no posters on the front of... There are those those little pictures on XBLA and NPS in the store, but like you say, Eddie, you're, not, you're pretty much in a list of games. Yeah. Uh, I don't think, you know, we've just heard about the rating system introduced for XBLA. Do you think that's going to make any real difference? Because I just kind of everything I see gets rated five stars by everybody, <laughs> so I, I don't yeah, think it well, will. Maybe in the beginning it will. I feel like the people who are most inclined to rate things either will rate it five or one. <laughs> you know, that <laughs> seems to be how internet ratings go. The thing is with XBLA, everything has a demo, but on PSN and WiiWare is where, you know, it's kind of just like, it's the wild, wild west, anything goes. So yeah. I think, you know, with the, definitely with PSN and Wii games, there has to be a demo, otherwise that game isn't going to really get any buzz or sell. Mm-hmm. I know the only games that I bought on uh, XBLA are ones that I played the demo for. The one, the one market, and I, I want to go to Jack on this, the one market where I think reviews probably have absolutely no influence is the Wii market. And I, I, for me, I just feel like the people who are going to buy Mad World were going to buy Mad World, whatever, they, because they want that game on the Wii. They're desperate for that game on the Wii. And I don't think a review... I just... I don't like saying it, but I just don't think there are many enthusiast gamers playing on the Wii regularly. And I um, think it, it affects reviews and how they're interpreted by the public. I, I would kind of go with you and not go with you there. Um, when you say there's not many enthusiast games on the way, these, they are the people that will like, see the very first Condit or Mad World trailer and none that will be sold on it right. and hype that game up. And Although it will never break out to the mass market, they still generate a decent amount of sales. But I do agree that it doesn't hold as much of an impact because the Wii market is... It's not as close-knit community as, let's say, the Xbox general market. Because obviously you've got such a wide variety of gamers that it's impossible to get like a certain review source or a certain media source that is going to pick up the attention of a massive audience because everybody's looking at their own little area. And like I said, I mean, I've had people disagree with me on this, but 
if you look at it, I mean, let's just take Nintendo for a good example because they are, they're always taking us a benchmark away. If they have a big, if they have a strong advertising campaign on the game, that game sells by the bucket load. And, you know, you just sort of look at things like Wii Sports Resorts and Wii Fit to see, you know, how over the top that's gone. Then you have other games which Nintendo release quite quietly, like Punch Out or Another Code. And then they kind of go into that and go, well, it hasn't sold too well, so we're not too sure. But they haven't done any marketing for this. Mm-hmm. And marketing is such an important part of getting a game out to the Wii audience because they're just so diverse. It's impossible to just go, okay, we're just going to do a, you know, an advert run in a gaming magazine because you're only going to get that part of people and you're not going to get any for people that will just watch adverts on TV or just go to certain websites or, you know, just pick up their cooking or women's magazines or something for, per se. And because of that, you've got to be much more clever in your marketing to get your message out to as many people as possible. Is there an example of a niche Wii title which has been reviewed, you know, exceptionally and sold well? I think, like, The Blob sold really well, didn't it? And that game is kind of pretty small in the long run. Mm-hmm. They didn't advertise that thing th- very well. I don't think it sold that well. It sold well here. It sold over a million. THQ's really? making a sequel. Yeah, it really did. Yeah, and, I'm, um, I'm, I'm yeah. sure it sold at least half a million over here. Really? World of Goo also sold really well based pretty much on word of mouth and, and press. You know what, mm. the blob isn't even... It's quite good, but it's not that good. I, I'm just... That, I, that, that again, is a, uh, the marketing. So I didn't really even notice the marketing on my side. Was there was there a lot of marketing for that game? Not, not TV marketing that I remember, but, I mean, I think it was more just it got really good reviews during a time when not many other third-party retailers were getting good reviews. Sorry. And... Uh, I think it just surprised a lot of people, and I'm pretty sure during the first couple months didn't do that well, but it picked up steam over time. And another title, same thing, is Boomblocks. Boomblocks, yeah. Boomblocks. Which, um, it started off really slow, but the, the word of mouth got out there, and it became successful enough for them to make a sequel. Yeah, and I think that's ever such a vital point as well. I mean, just to go back onto the Wii market, because you don't have that many games other than the massive Nintendo games that will sell a million in two weeks. But what they do is, if you can get your game and you can get a okay number to start with, so even if it's just like 100,000 sold in the first month, then the because the Wii market is broad, people are talking about it more in the average environment, while an Xbox game might not get mentioned in, let's say, waiting for hairdressers, <laughs> a Wii game might. <laughs> hey, I, I've spent a lot of time in hospitals, and I've listened to people talking about Mario Kart, and I've just picked up Link's crossbow training to other people in the hospital, so it does happen. <laughs> and then that word of mouth slowly grows and grows more, and it is for evergreen effect. You either get a game, and it will build up and up, and it will eventually sell really well, or if you don't have that initial push, then the game will just die. And you can clearly see that games will either do brilliantly or terribly, and there's not much of that middle ground, because it all depends on getting a word of mouth out there. For me, I think that word of mouth, as much as Joseph Ryan saying there's all the forum rights and there's the hype and stuff, I feel like in some cases the reviews have germinated the word of mouth. I feel like Braid, Bioshock, Mm -hmm. Portal, these are examples of games which shot into notoriety because of their good reviews, especially Mm -hmm. in the case of Bioshock. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe that word of mouth comes, but I just, I think it's naive to discount the review as a part of that process. No, definitely. I mean, like I said, you've got to get that initial base. And where is that initial base going to get their information from? They're going to get it from the previews, the reviews, the media, the whole hype cloud. 
you know, and especially reviews where you get the final sort of final game. But then after that, you know, once the review's gone, you know, it's off the front page, it's off the shelves of the shop. You know, then you've got to rely on the word of mouth to get the pe- new people to know about the game, and then for them to look into the, the reviews and things, and then get the game. I agree with what you were saying, Sinan, about um, the reviews being most important in the areas that are least marketed, like in the games that are least marketed at the beginning, mm-hmm. because it's it's those games that don't give you that base at all. So when the review score comes out, it's actually um, something very notable that mm. that's that initial spark. Yeah, I'd I feel like we've just, ha- we've just had a recent example, I think, in Trials HD, which I, I just say that. reviewed. Um, and the funny thing I was saying to John Luster, our editor-in-chief of the game reviews, when he gave me the review code, I didn't know a single thing about that game. And it's the <laughs> first time in three years I've played a game without knowing a single thing about it, which says so much about the hype train and how important reviews are to games which don't have that hype train. Because uh, I feel like, game for me, that game has sold on its reviews and nothing else. Mm. And what did you rate it? <laughs> I, <laughs> okay. You see, now you're going to embarrass me because last week I Call said... Call it Metacritic. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, Metacritic, listen, listen closely. The first big refreshing score. No, I, I, review, I reviewed it for the game reviews and I joked last... I said last week that I don't use a 20-point scale, but I did actually give it 8.5 because I didn't feel it was quite deserving of a 9. Uh, so... Uh, Shut me up, I was wrong last week. You <laughs> uh, know how to bring it out of you. Yeah, I do that to myself. <laughs> EGN offers a little something for everyone, from the serious analysis of Big Red Potion to the fun but well-informed GamerDog UK. Frugal Gaming will bring you gaming bargains to help keep your hobby alive, whilst Ninja Fat Pigeons offers one of the best and friendliest communities on the internet. And if you're one of us mature gamers, find like-minded comment with thegamerscene.com. www.unifiedgamersnetwork.com One thing, one question which was brought up by someone on Twitter, which I think is excellent. What do you think about Ben Yahtzee Croshaw and what he does at The Escapist with his zero punctuation reviews? And I use the term review there questioningly loosely because there's, there's no doubt uh, that his there are a lot of people who watch his videos. But for me, his videos are always almost always negative about the game. Uh, very, very condescending and mean. Yet, people start talking about the game as a result of them. I mean, do you, Eddie, do you think what he's doing is a, is a game review or is it something different? No. I think... <laughs> I love it. I love Yahtzee. But I think it's really just entertainment. Because you can pick every little bad thing about a game and just write a negative review. I mean, sometimes he says, yeah, it's okay. But I think, in general... His persona is, I hate games, and nothing can live up to what I want, so everything is terrible, and this is why, and I'm going to tell it to you in the most vulgar way possible, and make you laugh and cry at the same time, and it's mm-hmm. awesome. I think there's but... only actually been one game that he's actually liked. What's uh, that? Half-Life 2, isn't it? Half-Life 2 Portal, he was crazy about. Silent Hill 2. 
Rock and S Silent Hill 2. Any excuse, uh, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get the weekly reference in. Uh, I think, honestly, I think the thing with Yossi, the appeal of him is that, I mean, people just love to go on the internet and bash the shit out of games. And this guy makes a show out of it that's very entertaining. So I think just if only to jump in on the fun and bash that game equally, that people love this thing and they will, you know, kind of let it influence them. But I think at that point, they probably weren't that interested in the game to begin with if they're trusting his word over everyone else's. But I don't, I don't think it's, I think it goes beyond that. I think we talked about, you know, wanting to justify opinions and explore what other people are saying. I think when he talks about a game, it makes you want to play the game and see what he's talking about. Sure. And I feel like, you know, with The Witcher, I remember the lead developer coming out and saying, you know what, he slated our game, but our copies sold like crazy straight afterwards. <laughs> you know, so he has an influence. It, so in some ways, I feel like it's a game review in a way. Even it, it, He is providing an opinion on a game, and it's causing and influencing purchasing decisions. And for me, that's kind of the definition of a review. At the end, they will say any publicity is good publicity. Absolutely. You know, and... Just because he's reviewed a game means that hundreds of other people may have never heard of that game before and now know about it. And they may take his opinion into fact, they may just watch it as entertainment, which I do, because with the amount that he absolutely despises for Wii, there's no way that I'd agree with anything he says. <laughs> but he may speak about the game, and then, like I said, because he's informed people that the game exists, then they go to the other sites, they find out about the actual game behind it, and then that can influence them to go out and buy it which is where your other reviews, which you try to say much comment. I wonder if my Two Human video review last week influenced anyone to go out and pick up the game. <laughs> Do you want to explain your Two Human review, Jay? Um, people can just go to my blog and check it out. I don't think any words would be able to summarize that. Pixelatedglee.wordpress.com Thank you. It's, I mean, it's, it's fascinating for us because we've just started doing reviews on the Big Red Potion website, and we're getting, we're still working out our own vibe on them, and because we are trying to do something a bit different with everything we do on the site. But that is our aim. We do try to discuss things deeply. It's, it's difficult to translate that into a game review, though. I, mm. I found, uh, and I think it's an art. And I think, I feel like the press is starting to adjust towards that critique view rather than that checkpoint view and I think it is a good a good thing for games journalism to do that because I just think the checkpoint system is is flawed no one I don't think I think the one thing we've agreed from all of this is you shouldn't base your purchasing decision on one guy's opinion unless unless you really really know that guy <laughs> unless you really understand <laughs> what he's mm. talking about you shouldn't base your purchasing decision on one guy's opinion I mean is that can we all agree on that yeah I'd say that Unless there is an exact double of you someplace in this world who also <laughs> writes reviews, you cannot trust one person now. Or an exact opposite, who you know, if he likes, you automatically hate everything. There you go. <laughs> Which for Jack is a uh, Yahtzee, so... <laughs> <laughs> Excellent stuff. Well, uh, Eddie, Jack, thank you so much for joining us today. I mean, that's been, including this previous show with Justin and Jeffrey, a really diverse and fascinating discussion on video game reviews. As always, we'd like to close the show with some plugs and shout-outs. So uh, I'll go first to Eddie. Eddie, is there anyone out there you'd like to shout-out to? I would like to shout-out to Jonathan Blow and Braid, since I haven't mentioned <laughs> it yet in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's just for you, Sinan. And also, that someone should make Eddie and Zato bingo, and it should just be a big square <laughs> with Braid on it. <laughs> And also, go check out uh, www.gamernode.com, and uh, you can catch me on Twitter 
at twitter.com slash italianbreadman, all one word. And thank Perfect. you for having me. Always a pleasure, sir. Uh, Jack, how about yourself? Um, I'll quickly go through these because I've got a few. First of all, bigredpotion.com. Check us out. It's awesome. Oh, there's a reason why. <laughs> um, also, you've got to check out the Weeds podcast, weeds-podcast.com. That's W-I-I-D-S. Um, it's your general place for all Nintendo banter, news, and discussion. Um, we're actually in the middle of a big community drive at the moment, so we've got Weeds Game Nights, where you can get absolutely owned by Sinan on Mario Kart, as we did <laughs> on Tuesday. Um, we've also got some high scoreboards coming up. We've got some user-generated content ideas and some micro-review ideas, just to kind of tie it in slightly. Um, obviously, you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash atweeds, and you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash chronogenesis. If you spell that right, you win a cookie. <laughs> so to give you a clue, I, there's no H, is there? There's no H. There you go. I just on the, on the Weeds podcast, one, we've had James on a couple of times on the show, but I never really got to say it. I, I, for people who are interested in, in talking about Nintendo in a bit more uh, a less of a biased way than maybe some more Nintendo-focused podcasts and sites do, then I think you should definitely check out Jack's and James's podcast. It is one of the more fair and just podcasts on Wii and DS games that I've listened to. So, uh, well done on that. And uh, you're being very kind about my performance in Mario Kart Wii. I thought I was shocking, but there you go. <laughs> hey, you, you started off quite badly, but at the end of the day, um, Mint 301, who we were playing with, he is from Mario Kart Hall, and honestly, he writes about it all the day. And um, by the second half, we were beating him, so high fives all around for that. That will do for me. Uh, Joe, how about yourself for this week? Any plugs or shout-outs? Um, just head out to uh, BigRedPotion.com. We put up a ton of stuff last week. Sinan put up a great article about the upcoming Dead Space game. I put up a review of G.I. Joe, which is uh, <laughs> Yo Joe, I guess. Um, and uh, there's going to be a couple of things going up this week, too. So head to the site, check it out. And also check out the surplus uh, that we put up there, which is an outtakes reel for the show every week. So you can check those out every Wednesday or Thursday. I forget. When, Wednesday. All right, Wednesday. You're the one who does <laughs> it, so... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Thursday, check it out. <laughs> uh yeah, you've done. Uh, Joe's done some great work with the website. So definitely check it out, bigredpotion.com. I think that's maybe five plugs for our own website and our own <laughs> podcast. So, and uh, uh, the Versus Node podcast, because Eddie didn't mention it. Said we are on iTunes. Just go ahead and search V S N O D E. Uh, one one last shout out from me uh, to the Digital Cowboys, who they just put up their collaboration show called Independence, which Joe and I were kindly invited on to talk about why we do this show and. Uh, Listening back, it was it was fascinating to hear what other people were saying and kind of contrast against what we said. And it, I don't know if you if you listened back yet, Joe. No, not yet. I'm going to check it out today. You should check it out because the other people said a lot more cleverer things than we did. Uh, after us going on, they're saying we like to talk about games deeply, blah blah blah, <laughs> and then all these really great responses where we just talked rubbish for about ten minutes. But uh, if you ignore if you ignore our segment, um, it's a really fascinating show. Anyone who's remotely interested in games podcasts should listen to it. So you go to thedigitalcowboys.com. It's called Independence, and it's a really really good lesson. And lastly, I just wanted to give. Um, so I just wanted to say thanks to all the people who've left us iTunes reviews uh, on both the UK and the US side of iTunes because we've just got that little thing, enough uh, of the five-star ratings or four stars or whatever to get the little 
uh, logo or whatever to show up because it says sometimes not enough reviews, but uh, we, we're now on there, so you can see that we're, people seem to like us in America as much as they <laughs> like us in the UK, which is great. Mm-hmm. So thank you, thank you to everyone who's left us a review, and uh, I will ask as always. We try not to do it too often, but if you uh, happen to have any spare time and would like to help the show it would be great if you could leave us a review even if you don't like it just for the feedback it's, it's really important to us okay so I've been Sinan Kuba he's been Joseph Delia they've been Eddie and Zato and Jack Smith and this has been Big Red Potion we'll join you all next week yo Joe <laughs> that's going in.